I want to start by just going back in, back in my own life, back in my own life. I was in my early 20s when I came back to my faith. It was strange. It was strange looking back now. I had this, this argument going on inside my head. It was about who I was, not my, not my identity, but who I was, my existence here on earth. I was asking the question, was I alive? Was I alive? Strange question. Don't know if you've ever asked it yourself, but was I alive? Was this life real? Am I here? Getting all philosophical on you. Or was this life like the film, The Matrix? Some computer-generated existence. It certainly felt real. No men in black suits and dark glasses appearing out of the scenery. And I realized that I was real. I was flesh and blood. I was breathing. I was human. That sounds obvious standing here. But to start with, you need to know you're alive. You're living a life here on earth. Then there was another question. Maybe it's how I'm wired up. I work through things logically. But if I'm alive, then am I only? Am I only flesh and blood? With a brain that functions like a, a computer. There's input, there's process, there's, there's output, and there's no sense of consciousness about me. Nothing inside me, nothing more of me, nothing that would outlive my body. There wasn't a soul, there wasn't a spirit. Strange. It's strange, but I, I couldn't make myself believe that. The freedom, the, the creativity, the, the inspiration and emotion that I felt. Life seemed more than functional. More than a brain with logic. I realised that I must have a soul. Something inside at the moment that was me. The breath of life, the, the move of the spirit. Something that would outlive the flesh and the blood. I'm sure it's not only me that has argued this through and come to the realisation that we are alive and that we're spiritual. And you know what? When I realised that, it scared me to death because the next question, the next question is the important one. If we're alive, if we're spiritual, then what happens when we die? If we're spiritual, then there is eternity to think about. And that's important because in our culture, in our fast-moving, our multimedia, multi-distraction existence, I wonder if we realise or we choose to forget or we ignore or we attempt to suppress the fact that we are spiritual. Someone once said that everything in modern city life is calculated to keep man from entering into himself and thinking about spiritual things. Our human existence is short-lived, but our soul, our spirit, it lives on. And the Bible, the Bible, the, the writers of, of that book, and Jesus, the, the God-man whose words are recorded there, but he didn't write anything down for us. The Bible is written, and Jesus lived his life as a, a demonstration to communicate a, a message from God. And the message is this. Life is more. Life is more than we can see, hear and touch with our human body. And the most important questions that we will ever ask and then attempt to answer are spiritual. They're about God and eternity. 
And it's these questions, these questions that the Apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Ephesians, is answering. We started the series last week in Ephesians chapter 1, which is an incredible opening about the fullness and the, the richness for every believer and follower of Jesus Christ. A non-stop chapter that leaves you breathless. And Ephesians chapter 2 is equally unstoppable. Written with pace and passion and, and challenge. And Paul starts out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. He writes this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And straight off, straight off we're into it. We're into the spiritual questions about God and eternity and we're dropped, we're dropped into a, a battle. Paul says there, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. That's me. That's me and that's you. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, following the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And even if we don't understand all that, we get the sense that there's a, a battle going on. But it isn't flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And reading this and, and going deeper with this, what's really hit me is the reality here. And I wonder if we realise or we choose to forget or we ignore or we attempt to suppress the fact that we are spiritual. And here, even here in church, living out the, the Christian life, we can be doing this and not experience, not act, not be remotely spiritual in our following of Jesus. And that's called religion a repeated action that has no life no meaning beyond the functional the fact is and it must come alive again in our minds in our lives there's a battle going on and like it or not we've been dropped into it and it's spiritual i'm going to use the the flip chart here i'm going to draw something and it's it's geography and we're we're going out to america can you see this? There'll be times when I stand in front of it. Let's go. There we go. We've gone down. We've gone back up. And now we're going up really high up there. And we're down here. Any ideas yet? Hey, let's start filling in some blanks for you. Down here. Remember, we're out in America. We've got Death Valley. Death Valley, and there's a place, a, a basin down in Death Valley that's called Badwater, and it's the lowest point. It's the lowest point there in America. And then up here. We've got Mount Whitney. So we've got Death Valley down here, which is around 80, 85 metres below sea level. And then we've got Mount Whitney up here, which is over 4,400 metres above sea level. So we've got the lowest point in America, and we've got the highest point in America. The thing is, and this excites me, <laughs> the distance between them, and not only does it excite me, it's a great illustration. The distance here is about 80 miles. So we've got the, 
the lowest point, Death Valley, and we've got the highest point, Mount Whitney, and we've got just over 80 miles between them. And you think to yourself, that's incredible geography. Only 80 miles apart, the lowest point and the highest points. You go from Death Valley to Mount Whitney. Now, I want you to hold that image. Hold that image in your mind as Paul continues to write. In Ephesians 2 verse 3, he says, All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the, the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Paul is saying, that is what you were. Down there, down there in Death Valley, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were objects of wrath. And you don't have to understand all that to realise that it isn't good. In fact, it's bad. It's very bad. It's Death Valley valley and Paul's using strong language here and I don't know maybe we could look back we could we could look back look back to our lives before we started following Jesus and think that wasn't so bad was it wasn't so bad some of those desires and thoughts that we gratified that we followed through on I enjoyed it I'm still proud of it but when Paul writes he he leaves us in no doubt death valley does what it says it brings death. It isn't a place you want to go back to. And in verse 4, Paul writes, and get this, he writes, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And that's where we were. That's where we were, dead in Death Valley. But God didn't remain distant experiencing non-stop glory up in the heavens because of love because of mercy God invaded the earth and he dropped his son Jesus into the battle it's God it's God that delivered us out of death valley and made us alive with Christ alive with Christ do you feel alive do you feel really alive with Christ but God didn't stop there Jesus didn't go through the, the suffering of the, the cross so that we could get saved but be unchanged. There's more geography here. There's Mount Whitney. And in verse 5, Paul says this, he says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm going to draw another hour on here and then we'll carry on reading. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Death Valley to Mount Whitney, death to life to heavenly realms, not only saved but raised and seated with Christ Jesus. Reading this. Incredible, you're, you're blown away by the, the good news. But I've been challenged here. Because sometimes I think we can see Death Valley and we can see Mount Whitney. And it seems impossible to, to move people, to see people saved, to go from the, the depth to the heights. And you know what? We're right. It is impossible. Impossible for us, but not for God. 
Not for God by the power of his spirit, but the danger I think for us is we think that it depends on us. It hangs on us. So we create something false. I'm going to draw it here. Something false. And I'll call this the, the level place. The level place. So we create something that is false. A line there where people can survive. They can survive there knowing something about God. But we're never sure and they're never sure. Are they saved? Aren't they saved? Who knows? They're in church. They seem to have got it. But it's so level. They've not seen where they've come from. We've not looked down into Death Valley and believed that because of our sin, because of wrong thoughts, wrong actions, we're dead. See, we can live with the, the salvation story. That is glorious. But sometimes we've got to live with the sin story. Know how deep, know how deep evil goes in humanity. And then, equally, equally we've never looked up and seen Mount Whitney. Believe that because of Jesus Christ, we're saved, we're changed, we're alive with him. And if we don't show people, and if we don't even believe it ourselves, we will all live out our faith on the level place. And that's boring, that's dull, that's irrelevant. And it can leave us cold and thinking, am I really saved? I regularly, regularly use the language of the journey when I talk about faith. Where people start exploring and asking questions. They, they come to church, they walk with us, they move closer to faith and it's right. It's right to do that. It's right to use that language. But let's not use that language to the point where there's no contrast. No lost and found. No hell, no heaven. No death valley and Mount Whitney. Only the level place. That when it comes down to it, is nothing. It's in between. It's religion without resurrection life in us. And I'm excited. I get passionate about this because I wasn't saved onto the level place. None of us were. We were all saved. We were all saved to be seated with Christ. We were saved to be seated with Christ. We were saved for the heights from Death Valley to Mount Whitney. Death to life to heavenly realms. And we've got to live up to this. Because we're now on show. We're on show as believers. We are the incomparable riches of God's grace. Our lives. That's what they mean to God. And that's a word, isn't it? That's a word, grace. Grace. It's the word that Paul continues with in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9. He writes this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. And for me, for me this is something we say. It is by grace I have been saved but I'm never sure how deep it goes if I stood in front of God and it was a, a question and answer session about getting into heaven would I start and finish with believing in Jesus that he died and that he, he rose again and because of that I'm saved or would I want to make sure with some facts and figures about my Christian life and experience and am I racking that up now in my mind or can I say, can I say from the depth of me, it is by grace I have been saved. Through faith, nothing about me, all about God. 
it is a gift. And the thing is, the thing is that the longer you're in this, the less you feel like boasting about it, the more you realise it must be a gift. It must be God working in our lives because you become so aware of your own faults and failings. For we are. We are, as Paul continues to write in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the word there, workmanship, in the Greek it's the word poema. It means handiwork, craftsmanship. And in the English it becomes the word poem. Poem. We're talking carefully crafted verses, often handwritten. And suddenly our lives take on flow and they take on rhythm. I'm sure you've heard the phrase poetry in motion. Poetry in motion. And we may not feel like it when we get up in the morning and we look at ourselves in the mirror. It isn't poetry that comes into my mind. But God is there. God is there. We're worked on as God works out of us. And there's an order here. There's an order that we follow here. God first. We're saved and this is the start, not the finish. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In Matthew 5 verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the life that comes from grace. It is our response to God's gift. And the praise for that, the praise for that, for the good works, for the deeds, the praise goes to our Father. And that's the flow, that's the rhythm from grace to works to praise to our Father in heaven. And that is poetry in motion in our lives. Now there's a change. There's a change in what Paul is writing about. It's still questions about God and eternity. But it's not about sin and salvation. It's about the Jews and the Gentiles. Where the Jews are God's chosen people and the Gentiles are anyone else. So that's us. In verse 11 onwards, Paul talks about circumcision, which never seems that appealing to me. And then, and then he lists a, a number of, of things that as Gentiles we were separated from. We were separate from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were without the covenants of the promise. We were without hope. We were without God. Again, as Paul is saying, that is what you were. Separate, excluded, without. And we don't have to understand all that to realise this is bad. Very bad. And in verse 13 to 14, Paul writes this. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. To give this some background, Jews believed Gentiles couldn't be saved. You can imagine that the Gentiles resented that. And there was this religious barrier, a, a dividing wall that caused hostility and bad feeling. It went deep. I'm going to... Use the flip chart again. 
Here we go. You can shout out when you get it. It's a square. Now, you know it's a rectangle, don't you? But you're scared to shout it out. It's not a mass lesson. It'll start to make sense. I'm going to put Gentiles here. Here we go. So what we've got there is the, the temple, the temple there in Jerusalem where the, where the Jews worshipped. Now Gentiles, Gentiles they were held outside really, outside this, this wall here. It was called the, the court of the Gentiles and they could move freely out there but they couldn't pass through into the area that was reserved only for the Jews. So you've got the Gentiles outside, you've got the Jews inside. I was looking at this temple in Jerusalem on an archaeological website. You're going to say you need to get out more, aren't you? <laughs> but I was looking there and actually I was quite blown away by seeing the, the archaeology there, that this was a real temple. This was a real religious system that was set up. And if you get time, have a look. It's great to see and to know this is all real. This is all fact. What Jesus did there, it's important to put it in its background. And on this archaeological website, there was also a, a fragment of a, a stone sign that was originally positioned at the entrance to the temple. It warned Gentiles that they may not enter on pain of death. That's a clue. That's bad feeling. <laughs> but, through, but through his life here on earth, Jesus taught and, and demonstrated that both Jews and Gentiles had sinned and needed salvation. Jesus took the, the two groups that fiercely opposed each other and made them parts of himself. In verses 15 to 16, Paul writes, By abolishing, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. One new man. One new man means Christ made, he joined, he fused together all believers to become one in himself. Only God can do that. It's only through Jesus Christ that Jews and Gentiles, that we as believers can be saved. The barrier, the barrier there, the dividing wall of hostility was destroyed. The barrier, the dividing wall of hostility was destroyed. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. The temple had three parts. Firstly, the courts where the, the regular people met. Then there was the holy place where only the priests could enter. And then finally, the most holy place where only the high priest could enter. So we've got the holy place. And then we've got the most holy place. The most holy place where only the high priest could enter. And that only once a year to atone for the sins 
of the people. It was in the most holy place that the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence with it rested. When Jesus died on the cross, you read about it in Luke chapter 23, it says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was the curtain that closed off the most holy place. At Christ's death, at Christ's death, the barrier between God and man was split. It was torn apart. So we now go through here into the most holy place. God had done it. God had done it. It wasn't only that Jews and Gentiles were now joined together, but that all believers could go directly to him. No barriers left. The battle was won. The victory was Christ. The way was opened into God's presence. It's incredible. And it's our, it's our responsibility to keep that open. Not to get some false sense of looking after God, of repairing the curtain again, setting up a priest, making God exclusive again. No barriers. No barriers, neither language or culture, neither status or religion, neither age or ethnicity, neither background or knowledge. No barriers to coming into the presence of God apart from accepting Jesus Christ and him crucified, which remains and will always remain and will always define us. As a result, as a result of the victory of Christ, we are no longer aliens, we're no longer foreigners, no longer outsiders. But as Paul writes in verses 19 to 22, he says this, but we are fellow citizens with God's people. And members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of Jesus, the chief cornerstone, we're citizens, we're members of God's household. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it salvation doesn't finish with us getting saved onto the level place salvation continues on we're saved for the heights death valley to mount whitney death to life to heavenly realms and salvation continues on we've been created in christ jesus to do good works going from grace to works to praise to the father in heaven we're god's poetry in motion and salvation continues on destroying every barrier, every dividing wall. The way is open into God's presence. And salvation continues on. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And salvation continues on. Jesus will build his church and the gates of Hades better watch out. Salvation continues on. And the day will come when we breathe our last. Then we'll be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And salvation continues on. Generation after generation until Christ returns. Salvation continues on. That is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I know it's there. I know it's there in us to celebrate that.